Good morning. So thankful to be here this morning. Happy to see all of you. Um, I, uh, now that we have a uh, church building, and after having to uh, go away for so long um, because of the coronavirus, uh, don't expect us to cancel Sunday morning services anytime soon. It's going to be sort of a, a, if you can make it, make it. Uh, if you can't, then watch from the live stream, but we'll have an option for you. Uh, but we're going to be here if we can. And for those of you who are not here for any reason, we want you to know that we love you. Uh, and we're so thankful for you. And we hope for a time uh, to see you again soon. Today, we're going to move into Romans chapter 11. It's the last chapter of this uh, section on Israel. Uh, Romans 9 through 11 is a difficult section of scripture it's not easy for for the for the reader now to see and understand because a lot of it uh, doesn't feel like it pertains to us directly but I hope that you've seen through Romans 9 and 10 and I hope you'll see it in Romans 11 how there are so many uh, applicable points uh, for all of us Romans 10 we just finished spent um, the vast majority of the chapter, basically the entire chapter, uh, speaking of Israel's rejection, um, Israel's rejection of God, and not necessarily God's rejection of Israel. In, in Romans 10, we understand that Israel, but all of mankind, is without excuse. Uh, we found out specifically uh, over Romans 10, but specifically last week, uh, we found out why, and that is because they have heard. All of mankind has heard the gospel. They've heard the gospel through creation, through the law, through the prophets, uh, which Elijah said they have killed, uh, but that has happened all throughout history. The prophets were killed and murdered, and through the types, and then through the gospel proclamation. They have heard. All people are without excuse. All people are without excuse because they understood. We talked about how the Jewish people understood last week. Um, and we know this. We know that people understand the gospel on some base level because of the visceral and I would say demonic response to the gospel. Yep. There are very few people in the world, if any, who are indifferent to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, as a matter of fact, Christianity is the only religion that doesn't get a pass, ever. Um, and the reason is this. Man is created in the image of God, and so internally his desire is for the one true God. It is frustrating, it is exasperating when he places other things in the way of God, or in his own attempts cannot find God. And so it creates this response that is not just indifference towards the one true God, but it is hatred. In the same way, it is also proof that mankind, the Jews specifically in Romans 10, the end of Romans 10, understand the gospel is real. That the gospel was a continuation of and a fulfillment of what God had been saying the entire time and not just some out of the blue new word that God was trying to speak. They have heard. They have understood. 
and they have rejected. Man in his free will rejects God freely. It's not just that we heard and we understand and God condemns. It's that we have heard, we have understand, we've understood and often have rejected the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today we're going to come back around to something we've already discussed a little bit um, in Romans 9 and in other parts of Romans, but I want to look at Romans 11, 1 through 6 today and answer the question Paul is asking about Israel. Would you pray with me this morning as we open God's Word? Lord, bless this time. Would you open our hearts to your Word? Would you allow us to see practical application every day so that our lives may be changed? We may be people who follow you, who love you, who know you, who seek you in a true way more and more every day. Lord, when we rise and when we go to bed, let the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be holy and acceptable unto you. Lord, would you change us every day? Would you make us new? Would you make us more into the image of your son? So not only we may glorify you by the lives we live, but the world may see us, see a distinguishable difference and know that you are our God and we are your people. We love you. We love you. We love you. We pray and ask for your blessings upon this service in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Throughout this section of Paul's letter to the church at Rome, the churches at Rome, he is answering some very important questions as it pertains to Israel. Now we have tried to look at each of these questions specifically uh, as we've been in Romans 9, uh, chapters 9, 10, and 11. Uh, We'll continue that today and continue it all the way through uh, chapter 11. But I think, to the end of chapter 11, I think Romans chapters 9, 10, and 11 bring out seven thoughts of God's uh, about God's covenant promise to Israel. And uh, these thoughts are basically just an outline of Romans 9 through 11. I've given these to you loosely. I'm going to give them to you right now. And uh, you can write them down if you want to. Uh, or you can ask me for them later. Or you can do none of the above. But Romans 9 begins with the question, Has the word of God failed? And it was posed because we have all of these Jewish people who seemingly have not come to faith in God. And they're God's chosen people. And we have to wonder and we have to ask ourselves, if God's chosen people are wholesale rejecting God, then has the word of God failed? Well, what Paul does is for the next two chapters, three chapters, he lays out truth and proof that the word of God has not failed. I want to give you that outline because I think it's helpful Uh, We've gone through this over the last couple of uh, months, but I want to give you an outline. We know that the Word of God has not failed. Romans 9, 6-26 tells us that all who are elect will be saved. Romans 9, 6-26, the Word of God has not failed because all who are chosen, all who are elect, will be saved. Romans 9, the second point, Romans are the second part of that outline. Romans 9, 25-29. We know that the word of God has not failed because it was never God's plan for all of Israel to be saved. Not all of the nation of Israel will be saved. But a new nation of Israel who were made up of those who live by faith, all of those people will be saved. But not all of the Jewish people, not all of the actual nation itself. That's Romans 9, 25-29. Not all of Israel will be saved. 
Romans 9.30 through 10.21. Failure to believe is Israel's failure. God has not failed because God has longed to gather His sheep in. To gather His children in. So any failure to believe in the gospel is the failure on the people and not on God Himself. Failure to believe is Israel's failure. We're going to look at two today specifically. One is found in Romans 11.1. And that is, God's word has not failed because there are Jews who believed. There are Jews who have believed. And then we'll look at 2 through 10. We'll start that today. And um, Romans 11, 2 through 10. And, and Paul points out another truth that even in the worst of times, there's not just a few Jewish people who have believed, but there is a, a remnant, a holy remnant, a gathering of Jewish people who have believed. Even in the worst of times, there is a faithful remnant. In 11, 11 through 24, we'll see that Gentile salvation. God's word is not failed because salvation to the Gentiles is meant to arouse jealousy and to save the Jewish people because of the jealousy that the that salvation was open to the Gentiles. And then 25 through 32, Romans 11, 25 through 32, and this is the last number seven here of the outline of Romans 9, 10, and 11. In the end, salvation will come to Israel. And we'll talk about that more in depth. I'm going to leave that as a cliffhanger for you for a little bit. Um, but I want to look at two of those seven answers today to the question in Romans 9. Has the word of God failed? And that is specifically, there are Jews who have believed. And even in the worst times, there has been a faithful remnant. Another question is posed today by Paul. And it's sort of piling on to that first Romans 9 question. And it is, has God rejected His people? Has God rejected His people? I have the answer to that. That's point number one. And then you're going to have three other small explanations under that. And the answer to that is, the promise of God to Israel stands. The promise of God to Israel stands. Paul says... Uh, Romans 11, verse 1, I ask then, has God rejected His people? And then he says, and we've seen this countless times in Romans, he says, by no means, no way. You've heard me say it already, not no, but heck no. God has not rejected His people. It's the strongest definitive no that Paul can give. It's the strongest and emphatic no. God has not rejected His people. I think we should look at Romans 9-11 through 11 and walk carefully as we learn how each piece of the puzzle fits. We really can ask ourselves and answer several questions in Romans 9-11. through 11. One question is, is there a plan for Israel? Another, has the church replaced Israel? Another, how does the nation of Israel fit into God's plan? And how do we fit with them? Now, we've answered some of those, and I hope to answer those further in our studies now and in our studies in the future. But I want to present you a few important things to you that when we're asking these questions, we should consider. It is important that we understand Israel is God's covenant nation. Israel is still God's beloved 
I don't know how it works exactly, and we're going to try to explain it as, as closely as possible, but God still loves Israel. God's, Israel is still God's people in some special way that God knows Himself. God made a covenant with Israel before the foundation of the world, and God's covenants, as He says, are irrevocable. He says that when he's speaking specifically about Israel. His covenants are irrevocable. We need to walk carefully as we understand how we all fit in this faith family. I think it's unwise and unbiblical to assume that God has abandoned His chosen nation. That he It's unwise, I think, to assume that He doesn't have a salvific plan for the nation of Israel. I want to give you some precautions that I think you should take as you consider Israel's place in this salvation story. Number one, I think we should treat Jewish people with utmost respect, dignity, and love. They are God's chosen nation and His heart in some way that is true to Him, even if we can't quite understand it or reconcile it, is still with His people. This seems easy enough, right? But we need to understand that some of the largest anti-Semitism throughout history has come from purported believers who have chosen to uh, persecute believe, uh, uh, Jewish people. There were professing Christians throughout history who have blamed the crucifixion, the death of Jesus, solely on Jewish people and have chosen to persecute Jewish people based on that. Of all, and, and you might not think this because of this Americanized idea that there are some, there are some people or some people groups who are more persecuted uh, than, than this, but of all races and religions, the Jewish people have been the most persecuted throughout all of history. Uh, I don't play the idea that it's a game to find out who's the most persecuted people group. Although that's what the culture tells us that we should do. But of all the people, of all, uh, of all nations, of all races, of all religions throughout history, the Jewish people have been the most persecuted. But God has still chosen these people as a nation. God has still chosen these people as a nation. And friends, we should... Look on them with endearment and with love. If not for this reason. If not for this reason. Your salvation came to you because God chose to save the Jews. Do you understand that? Have you considered that? The only reason Christ came is because God chose the Jews. He did not come for the Gentiles. Now, in the larger scheme of things, he did, right? In the larger scheme of things, we see that Israel rejected God, and it was always God's plan to open salvation to the Gentiles. But God came to you because he loved the Jewish nation. And if not just for that, we should consider them a holy and blessed nation. Now, how we walk in that, we need to be more careful. If you want to figure that out, with me, we can talk about that privately, how we treat them nationally, how we treat them as a nation. That's a much larger and more difficult uh, path to walk. But and we can talk about that privately. I don't think there's enough time to, to work that out in this sermon.
But I do think that we should treat the Jewish people uh, with utmost respect, dignity, and love. I believe we should have a gospel proclamation plan specifically for Jewish people. I do loosely, and here's what it, here's what it entails. I want to know all of the types and the figures of the Old Testament. I want to know the Old Testament as well as I can. I want to study and know how the Old Testament fulfills our, uh, fits with the New Testament. And I want to know every way how the New Testament fulfills the Old Testament. Every way that I can possibly memorize and learn. I want to see the prophecies that were spoken about Jesus. I want to know as specifically as I can how He fulfilled them. So when God opens the doors for me to share the gospel with one of His people, of His chosen nation, I want to be able to share the gospel with them. Because I know that God would leave the 99 to recover the one. Because that's within His plan and His purpose. And I know also these people have a biblical framework of how these things work. And although they are harder to reach at times, they also have the heart of God and understand the heart of God in a way that someone who is irreligious would not. I wanna, we need to have a plan. We need to have a specific plan to reach Jewish people. I believe we should fervently and unashamedly preach the gospel to Jewish people and expect God to work in the hearts of His lost sheep. Sharing the gospel is difficult. But if we learn the continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament, we can preach the gospel to a Jew or to a person who is of another religion or a person who is irreligious without fear, with power, and with faith. I think Scripture believe, leads us to believe that in the last days, God will save His people. That God has an elect and chosen few or maybe a large number, out of His chosen nation Israel. And He is going to save them. He is going to save them along with every tribe, tongue, and nation. All of those who confess Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone to the glory of God the Father. As we move on, as we try to navigate this relationship with God's chosen nation, uh, Paul asks and answers a question today that I think that we need to examine. He says, has God rejected His chosen people? Has He rejected His beloved? To which he answers, by no means. Because Paul has said before, the commandments of God are irrevocable. But for our benefit, Paul gives two proofs and then a reminder of grace that I think are very helpful, will be helpful to us today. Paul first gives two proofs that his, God's people have not been rejected. And the first is a single testimony. There is at least one single testimony that God has not forsaken His people. Look at what Paul says in, verse, in chapter 11, verse 1. For I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of of Benjamin. Paul says, I know that God has not rejected his people because I am here with you today as a believer. Paul is saying, even if you don't see countless others saved, there is one saved, that's me, and therefore I know God has not rejected his people. 
Remember, Paul has attested to being a Jew of Jews. But today he uses the word Israelite. Why do you think he uses the word Israelite? Well, the word Jew, when someone's called a Jew, they are specifically referring to their national name. Their name as a nation. But when the word Israel is used, when God uses that in the Bible, He is referring to their covenant name. The name of the promise. And Paul is saying, I am a Jew of the promise. I am a Jew of the covenant. I am of God's covenant people. And he even went on to be a Pharisee. He was the most committed of the committed. He was committed to the covenant of God. He was one more deserving than others of this covenant promise. And to top it off, he states that he was of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin had a few things going for it uh, and was seen and revered as more special. Benjamin was the only son of Jacob to be born in Israel. Benjamin... The tribe of Benjamin was one of the only that stayed in the nation of the south with Judah. And if you know the breakdown of the northern and the southern kingdom, the northern kingdom went almost immediately into idolatry. And they were captured and they were exiled more quickly than the southern kingdom. The southern kingdom delayed uh, and they... They not in a more not in a perfect way, but they sought after the Lord more and for longer. And the only two that were left were Benjamin and Judah in the southern kingdom. Benjamin is also the, the territory where Jerusalem, where the holy city was. So Paul says, I'm a Jew of Jew. I'm an Israelite of the covenant. I'm even a part of this tribe of Benjamin that was the most revered tribe or one of the most revered tribes of all Israel, and yet I'm also a Christian. God has not rejected His people. God has not rejected His covenant people. Even if only one was saved. But we know that more came from that than just the salvation of Paul, right? And what we see next is a small but significant remnant. A small but significant remnant. Look at uh, verse 2. God has not rejected His people whom He foreknew. Do you not know that the Scripture says of Elijah how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. And I alone am left. And they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed to the knee to bowed the knee to Baal. So to all the present so to at the, excuse me so to at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. Has God rejected his people? Good news, Paul is proof that he isn't. But even better news, there is also more proof. Like in the days of Eliza, Elijah, God has preserved for himself a remnant. Paul goes on to um, to talk about this story of Elijah from 1 Kings. Elijah uh, at this point had just defeated the prophets of Baal. And you remember the story, right, of Elijah and the prophets of Baal, right? Elijah faced the 450 prophets. He alone was a man facing these demonic forces. And the prophets, they built this altar. They called upon Baal to, to come and burn this altar up 
uh, show his power, and it didn't happen. At one point, you know, Elijah's, Elijah, before this interaction, says, I'm all, all by myself. I'm alone against all of these prophets. All the other prophets are dead. And at one point, Elijah says, hey, maybe if you just dance a little harder and yell a little louder, maybe he's sleeping. Or maybe he's relieving himself. Maybe he's in the potty. That's why he can't hear you. Elijah goes from being I'm all alone until like he gets this Lord type confidence to, to mock these prophets. And so they start screaming and yelling and cutting themselves and nothing happens. And then the power of the Lord comes down and the, the description of what happens when the power of the Lord comes down. I don't know if you remember, but it says the fire from heaven came down and licked everything up, including the water that was in the bottom of the trench. It turned the altar to dust. This is the context that Elijah's in though. He, he did that through the power of the Lord, but he was by himself. The prophets were dead. He felt lonely. He felt isolated. He felt like the culture around him was gone to hell in a handbasket. At the end of that story, Elijah goes from mocking the prophets of Baal to the, the people that witness this. What do they do? Obviously, you see the act of God, you see the power of God, and you worship. The people that witnessed this, that were around, they repented, they worshiped, and what was the next thing they did? Do you remember? They picked up swords and they slaughtered the prophets. And there's another sermon. There's about five sermons in that. But one of them is when the Lord works, there is no room for idolatry in your life. That's a side, side sermon. Now we come to these verses and Paul is... Uh, referencing what Paul is referencing and, and what Jezebel Jezebel has seen this great thing that Elijah's done he, but also Elijah has killed all of her prophets and Jezebel is going to do what Elijah has done to the prophets so Elijah retreats he cries out to the Lord I am the only one left I am all alone. And Paul gives us a picture of the Lord's response to Elijah. Elijah, you're, you're not alone. I have kept 7,000 men who have not bowed their knee to Baal. 7,000 chosen Jewish believers who were foreknown, who were chosen and who were still living by faith. Paul uses this story to show that God had and still has a remnant of faith of His chosen people. Now we know for sure this was true in Paul's time also. It was true with Noah and his family. It was true in the time of Elijah. And it was true with Paul. Because Paul has already witnessed what has happened, or he has at least heard the testimony of what has happened at Pentecost. 
There were 3,000 Jewish people saved at Pentecost. A remnant of God's chosen people. And then the Bible says they went on to convert thousands daily. A remnant of God's chosen people. The first and largest groups of converts were Jews. And God is still holding today a remnant of those people for Himself. God has not rejected His chosen people. What application can we pull? I think there's a few things that we can pull from this text. The first is this. God foreknows, He chooses, and He keeps His children. Verse 2 says, God has not rejected the people He foreknew. Verse 5, so too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. It was always God's plan to save a people for Himself out of the chosen nation, nation Israel, but also out of the Gentiles who were foreknown, who were chosen, and who were kept. And if you are a part of this faith family, if you are a part of the family of God, you too were foreknown, chosen, and kept. And He is still, friends, to this day, fulfilling that what we find out in Ephesians, what we've learned in Romans, He is still fulfilling that before the foundations of the world plan to save His people. Just because we operate in time, He's doing it for us. He could have done it at any point. He could have accomplished His work at any point. But He is showing grace upon grace, giving us time, withholding His wrath, allowing people to repent and believe the Gospel so that all man is without excuse. God foreknew, He chose, and He keeps. Another point of application is that God still has a plan for the elect from the nation of Israel. So too as there was in the days of Elijah, as there was in the days of Paul, there is a remnant of the elect that comes from Israel. There is a remnant of God's people that comes from Israel. Another point of application, and I think this is more, I know that this is sort of this is um, sort of luxury today, maybe. Maybe you feel that way because it doesn't apply to you specifically. But one that kind of does apply to us is that God has a faith family. This is an application point from our text we just read. God has a faith family that is larger than we might see. When I think about this, I think about the remnant, the 7,000. I think about the interaction that Elijah had with Obadiah. Obadiah worked for uh, Ahab. He was in the court of Ahab, which was the king of the time. So he was working with Ahab and Jezebel, but he was a believer. He was a man of faith. And he comes up to Elijah and he says, It's you. It's the prophet Elijah. And Elijah's like, kind of, Maybe a pity party a little bit again. He's like, I'm, I'm alone. And Obadiah says, no, look, I've kept a hundred people. 
I hid a hundred faithful men and I've been giving them bread and water. And as a matter of fact, I've been helping you in the king's court. When I think of a, of a larger remnant, it, it makes me want to break down because God is saving people and God has preserved His people in ways that we can't see or know. And Obadiah came up to Elijah and he encouraged Elijah. And Obadiah on his own was rescuing people, the people of God. I think about the converts throughout the most difficult times of Christianity that God has kept and God is keeping and God is raising up in a great form, in a great church. I think about the secret church in China and other communist countries. I think about the true church in America. And I can't help but get excited that God is constantly raising up people. A people much larger than we can imagine. Much larger than we can think to accomplish His will. And He will do so until the day of Christ. God has a faith family much larger than we can imagine. Much larger than we can think. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. They are far more vast. Far more expansive than we can ever picture. And that should give you nothing but encouragement. That you have people coming alongside you that you don't even know. Another point of application. And I think you need to see yourself in this. But in the story of Elijah and what Paul says, God has kept a holy remnant who will not bow to idols. God has kept, the Lord said to Elijah, I have kept 7,000 men who have not bowed to Baal, who have not bowed to idols. Friends, I want to tell you, the true church is not built up of people who attend church services every week or who pray on the regular or who read the Bible. The true church is not just built up of people who uh, have a heart for the poor, who have a heart for the needy. The true church is not built up for people who have a heart for a community. The true church is built up of people who recognize and refuse to bow to idol idols, to idolatry. The true church is built up of people who refuse to bow to the culture, who refuse to bow to the idol of excess, who refuse to bow to the idol of selfishness or any other idol that may be brought up in our way. All of those other things I mentioned are, the, are part of the effect of, be, of belonging to the true church. But the true church has always been and will always be people who recognize and refuse to bow to any other God but King Jesus. Amen. There is so much idolatry in the American church we can't even recognize it. Within our own church, within our own body, we even fight these forms of idolatry. I fight regularly these forms of idolatry. It encouraged Elijah to know not that there were a bunch of Jews. Not that there were a bunch of people in the nation of Israel. It encouraged Elijah to know that there were 7,000 who refused to bow to Baal. 
Lord, that it may be said, a vintage church. We may be but a small people, but we are a few who, bow, who refuse to bow to any other idol. The last thing that we should see is that this remnant is a remnant of grace. Look at verse 6. But if it's by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. I think Paul uses verse 6 to reinforce that the Jews and or anyone else who would be saved would only be saved by one way. Now in a few weeks we'll look at a text that I might not explain to you very well. It's one that I've struggled with uh, much of my Christian life. I'm a little fearful of the proposition to be truthful. I have been not dreading, but I have been sort of looking forward in a um, not positive way to, to preaching this text. And the text in the end of Romans chapter 11 says that all Israel will be saved. Now, I think I have a good explanation for what is being said there. And I will try to lay out to you what I think Paul is saying, what I think the Lord is saying through Paul. But regardless, I know that this is true. I know that that verse is saying one thing and it's not saying another. That verse is not saying that God has made a separate way for the nation of Israel to come to faith. He has not made an independent way for the nation of Israel to receive forgiveness of their sins. It is saying that every Israelite that is saved, even if it's every single person in the nation of Israel, will be saved because of God's overwhelming saving power of the Holy Spirit through the work of Jesus Christ in the foreknowledge of God and grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Friends, some people would prescribe to you a thought that would lead you to believe that God has made a special way and a special plan for the nation of Israel. That is just not true. The truth is that if anyone ever will be saved, it will be by faith. And then whether it's retroactively or whether it's in the present time and in the future through Jesus Christ alone. Paul says, if not by grace, if by works, then grace is no longer grace. Friends, if there were any other way of salvation, any other partial way, any other thing we could add, it would make grace pointless, unnecessary, not even pertinent to the equation. But because salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, grace upon grace upon grace is poured out on His people as the only means of salvation. The only means of redemption of mankind. What the Israelites find out, what you need to find out, what all people will find out, is you cannot... Be or do enough to save yourself. You cannot work. You cannot hope. You cannot wish. As a matter of fact, 
If salvation came from God's foreknowledge of our obedience, do you understand? Some people say salvation came from God's foreknowledge of our obedience. That makes our salvation a work. If grace came from God's foreknowledge of our faith, that makes faith a work. But Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, it's by grace through faith, that not of yourself, it is the gift of God. That grace and faith are both a gift. And that the foreknowledge of God is His good pleasure to save His people based on no merit of their own. If we add anything else to grace, you might as well throw it all out the window. Paul says, but if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Friends, are you trusting in Jesus this way? By grace, through faith. It's easy to take on. It's easy to say amen to. It's easy to, it's easy to agree with today. But is your life a living testimony that this is true? Friends, I think, I believe that the world for Christianity, I've said this for a long time, so uh, please don't be like, oh, Joe Biden's a president, so this is the way Bryce is talking now. I've said this for a long time. I believe that the world has been and will be ever increasingly more difficult for Christians to just operate in. To just operate in. And friends, what's going to happen over the next few years, 10, 20, 30, however many, is that God is going to reveal our idols on a more real scale than He ever has. That which we work so hard to hold on to, that which we work so hard to keep, that is outside of the realm of godliness. God is going to re reveal our idols. I will tell you, one week without water will reveal your idols. One week without power will reveal your idols. May it be said of our church. And this has always been my prayer for us. For me and for you. I couldn't, honestly, you have, to, you have to believe me. If we never get larger than this, but we're sharing the gospel faithfully, personally and privately, and publicly. If we're sharing the gospel faithfully, if people are being saved, but our, but our pews are never more filled. But it is said about us, I found 80 people who refused to bow their knees to idols. I feel like I've done my job. I feel like I've done what God has asked me to do. May we be committed. May we be an encouragement to each other. And to the rest of the faith family. Because the only knee we bow is before King Jesus. God, you're so good. I am overwhelmed. By the fact that you have kept and are building up your faith family, your church. I am overwhelmed 
by the fact that you love us. You are working in us and through us. You have not abandoned us. You have kept us. I am overwhelmed by the fact that based on no merit of my own, you made me a part of this larger picture. I look at myself in the mirror and I can't imagine why. I look at the things I do, the things my, I fight in my heart every day and I can't imagine why. I cannot imagine why and I have to only come to this conclusion that your will and grace are all about your glory and have nothing to do with me. Lord, help us to be about your glory. Thank you for this message. Thank you for keeping your people. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.